Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. All right, this episode of Enough About Me is brought to you by my great friends at Milton's. At Milton's, you'll be as comfortable in their stores as you'll be in their clothes. Milton's is the store for men. It's the store of the Kirk and Callahan Show. It's a store to go if you want great summer clothes. If you're looking to go to the wedding, if you're looking to dress casual, by the way, business casual, Milton's is the store to go. You walk in, they'll take care of you 100%. You'll look great. The prices are great. The people are great. Go to Milton's. Milton's is the store for men. Again, thrilled they sponsor the Enough About Me podcast. Thrilled they're part of the Kirk and Callahan Show. We love Milton's. Go to Milton's, the store for men. All right, so I'm actually taping this, the first podcast in a while. We've been working on another long-form sort of podcast project that we hope to get out in the next couple of weeks. Still working on it. Should be pretty interesting uh, if and when, if is significant, and when is significant as well, uh, when it comes out. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm actually taping this before the show on Friday, May 22nd. It is uh, just after 5 in the morning. Uh, in, in this, not my regular podcast studio, Ken's working on some stuff before the show. Um, and so my mom died a year ago today, May, uh, 20, uh, geez, I'm thinking my dad, May 4th, June 22nd, uh, one year ago, exactly today, uh, seven weeks after my dad passed, I had my brothers in, uh, to sort of remember my dad, uh, right around his birthday last October. That seemed like it would be potentially um, difficult to do with my brothers right now for my mom. Um, maybe it wouldn't have been, I don't know. The th- things seemed a little more tense now than in October, but maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, I wanted to kind of remember my mom on the year anniversary of um, her passing, if only because uh, so many people, especially recently, have sort of checked in and, and asked about her and so much they were thinking about her. Um, and some people had said they wish they had been at the funeral or the wake and wanted to hear some of the uh, remembrances that were from there, the eulogy uh, that I had done, my brothers had done. So I may read a little bit of that today. I want to do that for my dad's anniversary uh, or his birthday podcast with my brothers as well. And we kind of went over the whole history of my dad. And maybe you guys want to hear it, maybe you don't. But I, knew so, I know some people out there, some friends of hers, who listened to the one with my dad, really liked it. So they wanted me to, to do one for my mom. So... Uh, I'm going to do that today here just for a few minutes um, as uh, as I think about her a lot here today and, and recently. Uh, well, and all the time, really. And, you know, I remember when they, they both passed, I got so many emails. So many people were so nice and said they had, uh, you know, it helped them, I guess, that, 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 that you know, that their, their parents had just passed. Not not me, but just sort of, you know, knowing that, that other people go through it. And obviously they do, and mine was a little unusual, but... Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but you do feel differently when somebody's parents pass after yours are gone, especially somebody around your age. You go to wakes you may not have gone to in the past. You reach out and you may not have in the past because uh, you just understand. It's like anything else. You have an understanding of it. So anyway, my mom would always say uh, to me specifically that she always wanted a letter. She'd say, it's for a birthday every year. Write me. Can you write me a letter? She, was, she, wa- she just wanted to be told all the time. 
that she was loved. She was needy in that way. And it wasn't in a bad way. It was just the way that she was. And I never did it, and I felt bad. And the closest I came was a eulogy, which seemed cruel, given what I, where I think, you know, <laughs> she is or isn't, uh, you know, once you pass, religiously, I guess. Um, but I worked hard on the one for my dad. The eulogy for my dad really broke me in half. Uh, I was, you know, I think, I remember Jerry saying it on the air. I listened, he said, it's the hardest thing you have to do is remember, I think, your dad even more than your mom because you know your dad would be judging you if he was sitting there, especially my dad. My mom wouldn't have mattered what I'd done. She would have been so happy. She would have been crying from the start. I should have written it, you know, before. I should have written it when she was, you know, alive. So I feel bad about that. But, um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, again, you know, the people who are listening who, you know, love her and knew her know that she's the kind of person who always wanted you to be happy, even if it meant she wasn't happy. She was always concerned. And I mean, until the very end, she was always concerned about what other people thought. Um, when she was finally done and decided she didn't want to do this last treatment, and this was, I don't know, her fourth or fifth different one, my mom had pancreatic cancer. She was diagnosed February 5th, 2016. Um, and, you know, we were told, you know, a few months, expect a few months, and stage four pancreatic cancer is about the worst one you can get. Uh, so... We readied ourselves for a few months. The first few months were horrendous. She went through this terrible treatment she hated. And we went to the doctor and said, it's actually getting worse. So at that point, we sat in that room and thought, well, we're done here. You know, this is going to be a few more weeks. This is unbelievable. My dad's sitting there. He is very sick. And you're thinking, what, 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 is, what has happened? What has happened to this family? What is going on here? I, I'm, it's, it's, uh, how did this happen? And they tried, said, let's try another treatment. And it was a miracle. Especially, I mean, considering the disease she had, it was a miracle. Um, she really was on it for, you know, the better part of a year and for the better part of that year felt really, really good. I mean, felt unbelievably well. Um, and then my dad passed and then we found out that treatment wasn't working anymore. She tried another one and she hated it. It wasn't even so much her stomach. It was her legs, her legs. If you saw her legs, you would, you, you would, you wouldn't believe it. They were purple and bruised and so thin. She'd lost so much weight by the time she passed. I'm sure she was not a hundred pounds. Uh, and she couldn't walk, and she was in so much pain, and she hated the medicine, and my dad was gone, and she felt terrible. And and we were, I talked to her on, I saw her during the day, and then at night, one night, I was, we were talking to her on, on FaceTime, and she looked, my cousin was staying with her, she looked that night, she, stayed, she looked gray. She looked terrible. And she said, I want to go in tomorrow and tell Dr. Wolpen at, at Dana-Farber. She started Mass General with Dr. Murphy, who was fantastic, and then went to Dana-Farber with Dr. Wolpen, who was uh, really good also. And she said, I just want to tell him I don't want to do this anymore. I'm in too much pain. And she knew by saying that that she was done. Um, this was a Tuesday night. And I said, of course, okay. And we went in the next day, and she sat there. And, and she was already on a lot of pain medication, so she was sort of in and out of it. Um, but I remember Dr. Wolpen talking and, and talking about how, you know, th we'll see how it goes when we get our, our scans and see if it's working. And my mom's kind of nodding, but also falling asleep. And, and I knew that she didn't want to do this. And I said to Dr. Wolpen, you know, I think my mom's afraid to tell you um, that she doesn't want to do this anymore because she thinks she's going to disappoint you. And she did. And she started sort of crying. And Dr. Wolpen, who was a, a really good doctor, a very nice guy, but is a, is a scientist, more of a, you know, a, uh, numbers guy, I think, more than a, a, a personalized doctor, I guess, or I don't know what you know what I mean. Sort of 
you know, I, I saw him for the first time sort of crack a little bit in the facade and he felt terrible and he said, you've done so much. And she did, I think, this experimental treatment she had done uh, had been so successful before that that I think, you know, they were, they were, um, they, 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 they were, they weren't happy to do it, but they understood and they said, okay, you I mean, this is, this is a choice you have to make. I understand that. And he felt terrible that she was going through this pain and didn't tell him as much. She, you know, that's the way she was. It's just the way she was. And she was done. And we went in the car and, and brought her home and, did, and brought her upstairs to, to her room. And she never left that room again for a week. Uh, she never left the room again. She died in that room. We were in there for a week, sort of with home hospice going back and forth. And she drifted in and out for the last few days of that. And that was really it. But she fought it so unbelievably well. It's, it's incredible she did that. You know, I'm just looking at the eulogy here. I wrote, you know, my mom, and this is true, had a historically low tolerance for pain. I remember she got braces in the, as an adult and would spend days in bed crying after they were tightened, and that's true. I mean, that is true. So when she got diagnosed with the stage 4 pancreatic cancer, we thought it was going to be three weeks and she'd give up, and I did. I remember saying that to my brothers, given my dad was sick, given her own, you know, uh, she just did, she just did, didn't, she was not a good patient in, in the past. So I thought she'd be, you know, it was February. I thought she'd be gone by April and would be dealing with my dad, which would be a whole other situation. Uh, but it turns out she was the toughest person I ever met in my life. Uh, she never gave up, ever. Like I said, horrible side effects in the first trial, which failed. Her tumor grew. She didn't give up. The average life expectancy for a stage four pancreatic cancer is about five months. Four and five don't make it a year. She made it 16 months. Uh, and if you saw her my dad's wake, and some people listening may have, she was incredible, full of energy, vibrant, fighting. That's how she was until the last couple of weeks. Fighting it was just too much. It was inspirational. I'm so proud of her. Still am. And I can't, uh, I cannot believe how hard she fought. So, I mean, again, I'm not going to read too much from this stuff because I think, you know, it's, some of it's personal. Some of it's for people who really knew her. But, you know, and, the, and, and those who are listening, especially the people in Nova Scotia, I know who weren't able to make it and, Relatives from all over the country weren't able to make it. Have asked me not I mean, not three thousand requests, but a bunch. Can you send it, or is there any video of it? And I I've been uh, remiss in doing that. Maybe I should have. It's just you know, uh, not so not so easy to do. But I just like I said, I'm not going to spend forty minutes on this. It's just been thinking about her a lot, even more than usual the last week or two. Um, and you know, I, I feel terrible for people who don't have their parents and now I totally understand and it's sort of embarrassing that uh, I wasn't better in the past when people's parents died and you said oh geez you felt bad and then you kind of moved on you didn't think they're what they were going through but it's it's crazy you know it's just it's just crazy it's crazy how much you miss them it's crazy how much you think about them it's crazy how upset you get at random times it's crazy that even when the times are good like yesterday Kate graduated from uh, Kramer school which was awesome great to see her she was beautiful and proud and she's the greatest girl in the world and you're thrilled you know you're so happy for her but then you see other grandparents there and you think geez mom and dad would be here for sure my mom would be so excited my dad would be so happy uh and they don't get to see it and then you realize you there's nothing you can do about it to some extent you have to suck it up and move on even the week before we played i coached kate's softball team we won the championship it was awesome it was a great day and my dad would have been keeping score for the team for sure, helping out. My mom would be there rooting him on, like she always did. Like I wrote in this eulogy, uh, she went, and this is true, she went to almost every game we played and would always cheer for both teams. She never bothered 
to learn, learn the rules and really didn't care who won or lost. She was happy and we were happy and sad for us when we lost. And she was really, I think, one of the five worst athletes the country's ever produced. It was amazing watching her, how unathletic she was. He'd hand her a, a golf club and she'd swing it upside down. You should dribble a basketball like backwards with like, you know, the, 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 the wrong side of the hand hitting it. Remember, she signed up for six tennis lessons because I played tennis as a kid and she wanted to play with me. Um, so she signed up for six tennis lessons this is somewhere in like the mid to late 80s um, at the indoor courts right at like the Winchester Woburn line. And this guy, Ira, was her, um, her instructor. Nice kid. Uh, I remember shooting hoops outside. We had a long driveway, and this little car pulling up the driveway, getting out. It was Ira, uh, and my mom wasn't home. And he said, can you just take this? And he gave me the check back, and my mom gave him. He said, I can't take it. It was hopeless. She wasn't able to play tennis. Uh, He felt awful. He couldn't take her money because she was so nice. So, you know, that that is true. But... um, yeah, you know, she, she, she loved her friends and the trips they took every year. She loved going back to Nova Scotia. She really did. And they would eat seaweed and sit around and talk all day to her cousins. Uh, I know they miss her. She misses them so much. She loved to cry at movies, you know, movie, any movie, any dumb movie. She loved Danielle Steele books. We'd make fun of her. And her role was really in our lives as kids was she was the, she would take the bullets because we were terrified of my dad. So my mom would take the bullets. You know, we would... We would, um, every fall for three or four years, or maybe five or six years, my dad would sit us down and say, uh, you can watch one TV show a night. Take out the TV guide. You can watch one TV show a night when school starts. That's it. So we'd go through the list, and I'd have to pick between, like, you know, uh, a Night Court and Cheers or whatever, Magnum P.I. and the Dukes of Hazzard. I mean, these are impossible choices for a kid. Heartbreaking. And we'd do it. My dad would sit there and print it out and put it on the fridge and say, there it is. And he'd do a check mark. And meanwhile, he'd be working like crazy. And my mom would sit there and let us watch TV, three, four shows a night. And you'd hear the garage door open and she'd turn off the TV, would sprint up the stairs and pretend we were in bed. He probably knew. But that's what she did. That was her role. She was the good cop to the bad cop. Uh, you know, I had so many friends who said that they loved my mom and were terrified of my dad. That was sort of the reoccurring theme of my youth also, until I got a little older and realized my dad was just trying to do what he thought was best. Uh, but that was it. I mean, my mom was the nicest person I have ever met in my entire life. Literally the nicest person I've ever met in my entire life. Obviously, that was handed down to me, uh, and I carry that on today. But <clears throat> she really was. I mean, she was so nice, you almost got upset at her for being nice. She would say to her, because she would try and please everybody and please nobody, you'd say, Mom, you know, stop. Just what do you want? Are you mad at this person? Tell them you're mad at this person. Don't tell me you're mad at them and then act like you're nice to them. Be honest. Be nice to them. And you'd get mad at her for being so nice. I mean, it's true. Uh, <clears throat> but, I mean, she was the greatest. She's the best mom you could ever have in your life. She was the best grandmother you could ever have. And that's what she loved, I think, the most uh, was being a grandmother. That was it. It's all she wanted. She wanted grandkids, and she got them. She got six of them, six great ones, uh, and started with Kate. And when we got the, uh, and I'll just read this from the, from the, from this is now the portion of the show podcast that will get mocked relentlessly. My guess for history on, on on my show is when is when I read this because a chance of me getting through this is about zero percent. <clears throat> so uh, Kate's adopted. When we got the call. Uh, to go to Sioux City in February of 2007. 
to adopt this little girl who was just a couple of days away from being born. You know, we finally got the call. Hey, let's go. Um, we knew who we wanted to have with us, and that was my mom. Uh, so we got off the plane to Omaha. There she was, you know, 50 bags full of baby clothes. She was waiting and waiting and waiting to be a grandmother. And it was scary. We had a few, uh, we'd been burned a few times in the process before. So, you know, as the three of us, uh, Christine, me, and my mom, sat in the waiting room at St. Luke's Regional Medical Center that morning and early afternoon the February 12th, we were scared. <laughs> Uh, my mom was ironically the one who was afraid, I think, to, to try and be comforting sometimes, almost because you'd get mad at her in a situation like that. You'd say, we don't, you don't know. But she was. She kept saying, don't worry, it's going to be all right. We, we're, we're, you're going to get her. She's, she's going to be yours. Uh, and that afternoon, the nurse brought her out, and that was it. She was ours. The three of us held her and cried and couldn't believe how perfect uh, she was. It was and remains to this moment, as much as I love Harry, and I do love Harry as much as I love Kate. It's a tie. The moment when the nurse handed Kate to us uh, remains the greatest moment of my life. It will always be the greatest moment of my life. Uh, and my mom was right there for it. So Iowa has, you know, adoption laws. Uh, and one of them is or was, I don't know, this. Only the parents, the adoptive parents, are allowed in the nursery. Uh, and we weren't allowed to have Kate in a room for the first 48 hours, which is, I think, a reasonable law. You know, you know, you're just the birth mother uh, who is great. Kate's birth mother is fantastic. Um, but she was trying to figure out, you know, she was doing her thing when she was with Kate and she was still in the hospital. And it was not awkward because of how wonderful she is and her family is. But it was it can be, I'm sure, an awkward situation. We were lucky that it's not for us. Um, so my mom, after that first encounter with Kate and all she wanted to do was hold Kate and see her. Couldn't touch her for two days. Torture for her. Perfect for me, of course. I'd take pictures of her with her face pressed against the wall and trying to get this relationship with a one-day-old. Well, she got out of the hospital and we had to spend a couple nights at the Best Western at Sioux City. I had to stay in the state for a couple of weeks. Uh, and she was, my mom was just thrilled, you know, and they became great friends, best friends. Uh, you know, trips all around the world, drawing together, watching movies cooking, goofing around. I mean, they became, they had this bond and, and even when my mom was sick, they had that bond. And, and I think, you know, probably it was, you know, just as important to me as it was for Kate. I don't know, but oh boy, <laughs> here we go. It's not as emotional as Michael Hawley leaving a radio show, but it's pretty emotional. Anyway, I think it's a definition of unfair. And listen, there's things in life that are a lot more cruel. People who die much younger. My mom was 66, but I don't give a shit. You know, it's still cruel. That the other grandkids, the other five, including Harry, will have absolutely no memory of my mom, other than pictures and videos, but they won't have any real tangible memories of this person who should have been there until their 80s and watched them go to graduate high school and college and get married, maybe have kids of their own. And that was yanked away. And that's literally all she wanted. She was so happy. She was all set for the last you know, 20 years of her life, 25 years of her life, maybe she thought, you know, this was good. You know, I go to Florida, I can go to Maine, I can see the grandkids, I can take them on trips, we can do this, we can do that. Gone, snatched away. And that's what hurt her the most. I mean, I know she would say it day after day. That's that's what hurt her the most. But I think the people, you know, when I was at a wake earlier this week uh, for a cousin of my mom, very nice guy who unfortunately passed, and people said how much they missed her and how much they loved her. Patsy, she was to all the people in Nova Scotia. Patsy is who she was to her friends from high school when she was younger. Patsy is who she was to her 
uh, to her mom and her dad, um, how much they missed her and how much they loved her. And she was just a, a great, wonderful person. Um, and, uh, and she's missed terribly. And I just wanted to think about it. Just, just again, if you've, didn't get a chance to hear the eulogy and, and, and wanted to hear. This is basically for you guys. So that was it. I, I'm not going to go into some deep thoughts. I don't really have any right now. Um, just that, you know, she was the best, the absolute best. Uh, best mom, best grandmother, I think a great friend. And I would say what I said a year ago, and I would say what I've said in the year since when people talk about this, is that I would say... Always reach out. The one thing that really hurt her was because she would do it. And I had started my eulogy telling a story about running in Winchester one day and, and the gentleman pulling me over, walking past me and, and saying how much my mom had, had, was a secretary at McCall, the middle school in town for a while in Winchester. And he had said his wife had been sick and how my mom had reached out and brought food over and how much that meant and how hurt he was to see that she was sick. He had seen her downtown. Um, and she had already had her, lost her hair and she had lost so much weight and he just felt terrible and what a wonderful person she was. And I got a lot of that. And my mom was somebody who would reach out. She was aware. Maybe it's because her dad had been so sick and she had, she had been in home hospice with him and she had seen him. I don't know. Or maybe it's just because she was a great person. Um, if you think you should reach out, you should reach out. And if you reach out once or twice and they don't respond, reach out again. They could be angry. They could be sick. They could have forgot. It's just the mind gets so fucked up during this process. Keep reaching out. And if you're close to them and you don't reach out, it's devastating to the people who are sick. Absolutely devastating. There are people in my mom's life who she thought she was close to who went away, who just checked out and she didn't get it. Um, you know, starting with her brother, who's just absolutely horrific during the whole process and still mystifying to me a year later. And I'm trying to get past it. There's no reason to be angry anymore. I just hate the guy uh, and I got to move on. But that's that's what that's the one thing I think I've learned is try just do whatever the fuck you want now too. I know Jerry says eat the chips. That's what his dad told him, and I, that's why I think now. I mean, there's 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 no reason not to do. Just have no regrets. Just fucking do whatever you want. And if people in your life are sick, be there for them. I'm not saying be be there every hour, every day. Do the best you can. Don't don't blow them off for weeks at a time, and then just show up and act like everything's good and talk about yourself. You know, care, check in, be, be present. And that's what my mom did. Uh, and I know she was really disappointed in, in some people who she thought were friends. Um, that's all. But, you know, I was just think, you know, what, what, if you asked me about my mom three or four years ago, I would say she's a really nice person. I love her. She's a great mom. She's a great grandmother. Uh, but she's not a fighter. And now when I think about her, the first thing I think of is she was a fighter. She fought. She never gave up. Uh, so... That's all. And if people who are listening, you know, never knew her, then you may not be interested in this podcast. If you knew her, you probably are. But just thinking about her a lot today. Now I'm going to go read the fucking Herald and do the show with Jerry. But uh, that's it. So that's for my mom who died uh, one year ago today, uh, June 22nd, 2017. Patricia Minahan. Uh, she was the best. All right. We'll, and we'll be back, uh, I think, in the next few weeks with this long form podcast that we're working on i hope although you know who knows with these corporate people and these lawyers they'll probably spike it which will put me in another goddamn mood but uh so there you go all right
How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.